Hey, here is Natalia, and you're listening to another episode of my podcast. I usually speak about the methodology of achieving native-like fluency, and I share exercises and practical tips that absolutely everybody can apply to build their own practice routine and to continue advancing their communication skills in English independently. But today, I'm joined by a guest. My guest is Fira from Los Angeles, and she has already achieved native-like fluency. To be honest, many of my students have already achieved native-like fluency in another language, and it's funny that not all of them realize that. Some of my students live in France, some of them live in Germany, some of them live in Italy, and they speak French, German, and Italian just like native speakers. They speak another foreign language way better than they speak English. They have already achieved native-like fluency, and probably that's what makes it easy for them to, I wouldn't say believe, but know. They know that native-like fluency is possible. Fira and I met in Moscow in 2017. She took my public speaking course and she was helping me on that course as an assistant. I'm very happy that we became friends and that we have been keeping in touch. Fira lives in the United States and she speaks flawless English. Today, I want to ask her some questions about the ways and the strategies she uses to improve her English skills. If you live in an English-speaking country or you consider moving to an English-speaking country, if you would like to listen to a story of a person who has been through this experience, who had to and who has to invest a lot of time into improving her English skills and her communication skills, who had to build a career in the English-speaking country, if you want to listen to her story where she shares what works, what doesn't work, what she had to do, what she didn't have to do at all because it came easy, stay tuned. Fira and I are going to have an amazing conversation. Hi, Fira. It's so good to have you on my podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me here. You are now speaking from Los Angeles, right? Los Angeles, California. Correct. Okay, great. Um, we met in 2017 in Moscow, actually, and then you moved to the United States, or I should rather say you moved back to the United States. And I've always loved your English. <laughs> you speak English and Russian beautifully. And here on this podcast, I talk a lot about native-like fluency, and you are the person who has it. You mm -hmm. sound like a native speaker. So I wanted to talk a little bit about your, not a little bit, I actually wanted to talk about you and your journey on this episode. Would you say that you're a bilingual adult? Because there's so many people arguing about whether this is possible. You can, like some people say you can only be bilingual if you were raised in an English speaking country. Some people say that you can be a bilingual adult. What would you call yourself? I would say I'm probably a bilingual child because I originally moved to the United States when I was 10. And, you know, as we all know, it's so much easier for kids to learn English. So within a year of moving to, uh, to Los Angeles, I started speaking English fluently. It just took me one year. Did you speak any English when you moved to the United States for the first time? Practically, no. I did study English in school, but it was very, very basic. Um, so when I moved here, I went to like my first day at school. I just understood absolutely nothing. <laughs> Everything was completely foreign. Uh, but in America, they do have this program where they, it's called ESL classes, English second language. So I was enrolled into that class with other students who just came to the United States to learn English. Mm -hmm. So that definitely helped as well. So I was kind of studying English a lot. So yeah, another thing that really helped me was when we moved here with my family, my aunt and my other members of the family already lived here for many years. And we started living with my aunt and my aunt would just force me to speak English to her. Just anytime I would try to speak Russian, she'd be like, reply to me in English, speak English. That I think that really helped to speed up the process of learning the language. So that definitely helped as well. But did you get annoyed with her for doing that? <laughs> Very much. It was very frustrating. I just, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to speak English, but she would be just a very like adamant, you know, just fine English to me right now. I heard a similar story from a guy I met in Croatia and I went to this part of Croatia, um, this peninsula, Pula, the city Pula. And 
it's a very interesting place because most locals speak four languages. They speak English, they speak German, they speak Croatian, and they speak Italian. And the street signs in that city are in Italian and Croatian. So there used to be this area probably used to be occupied by Italians. And he told me the same story. Now he works as a tour guide and he organizes a lot of tours for German-speaking tourists, for German-speaking guests in some VIP hotels. And his mother wanted him to speak German. So he said, I would come back home from school and I would ask my mom, of course, in Croatian, in my first language, what's for dinner or what's for lunch? And she would tell him, no, ask me in German. And he was like, Mama, what gives to Essen? And then <laughs> she would reply to him <laughs> in German as well. So she used the same tactic. So he's absolutely fluent in all four languages, which is fascinating. That's incredible. Yeah, sometimes when I speak to people from Switzerland, I also find it incredible how easily they, they switch between languages, at least four. By the way, how easy is it for you to switch between languages? It's really easy. I switch back and forth if I'm speaking with someone who's you know, fluent in Russian and English. I go back and forth from one language to another. Sometimes I know it's not a good good thing to do. I put like Russian words into an English phrase or vice versa. So I move and flow from one language to another very easily. The only thing is sometimes like I, I know a word in English and I forget it in Russian. I have to remind myself or I know a phrase in, in Russian not exactly sure sometimes how to say it and run in English, but mostly it's very easy flow back and forth. Yeah, I find that it's one of the skills that you also need to practice switching between languages. Because for people who are just starting out, who have just made a decision to improve their English skills, it's really difficult for them to switch mm -hmm. and to start speaking English and then to switch back to Russian. It's an incredible skill, very, very useful. Because um, when you feel a lot of tension switching back and forth, it's not really helping the learning process. I was actually listening to a lecture by a famous neuroscientist, and she said it's like the most difficult, complex process mm. uh, to switch from one language to another. Really? It's a completely different code. And she says uh, synchronized uh, translators, it's like the most difficult job to do. Like there's insane processes going on in the brain when we switch from one language to another. I heard these people need a break every 10 minutes. Otherwise, yeah. they can go mad, go nuts. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's so overwhelming. But your story is not that simple. It's not like you moved to the United States when you were 10 and you stayed there and that's why you speak perfect English. Tell me more. <laughs> what happened later? Because I met you in Moscow in 2017. What happened? <laughs> So later on, I lived in the United States, the age of 10 to 17. And when I was 17, just life events, a certain situation moved me to Moscow. And I started living there and I applied to university there. So I went to Moscow State University. And at that time, my English was better than my Russian. So I ended up speaking English more fluently. My Russian was not as good. I could read and write, but still I made a lot of mistakes. So I had to all of a sudden immerse myself in Russian, uh, learn it really well to the point where I could, you know, pass exams, study in Russian. So I would say that was more challenging to me <laughs> than learning English when I was 10, because that just came naturally. I was a child, but I already as an adult, even though I, was, I spoke Russian to improve it to the point where I could um, study in such a, you know, prestigious, good university was challenging. I can imagine the amount of written assignments you were supposed to submit. Yeah. And if you've never written academic papers in Russian before, it's really difficult. <laughs> it's very difficult. And Russian language is way more difficult than English to me personally. <laughs> well, when it comes to writing, I would agree with you. And people who plan to study in the US, and I did my master's in Germany as well. I know what I'm talking about. I had to do a crazy amount of writing. And that's one of the most challenging skills. So people who are planning to continue their education in the United States work deliberately on improving their mm -hmm. writing skills. So how did you go about it? Did you hire a tutor? Did you just spend all nights reading and learning and studying? What did you do? I think also because I was just immersed in it, there was no choice. I had to succeed. I would just read a lot in Russian. I, would, I did hire a tutor my first year just to improve my grammar. And that's it. I just did the best I could. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's funny. You are actually a native speaker of the Russian language, but when you moved mm -hmm. back to Russia, you found yourself in a situation where you couldn't really use the Russian language properly. So you needed professional help, right? And you needed help in general. And a lot of people who have achieved a certain level, a very decent level in English, they also want more. A lot of people feel the frustration when it comes to improving their English skills because they think I'm already good enough. I already have a C1 certificate. Some people have a C2 certificate. Why do I need more professional help? Why do I need to spend more time studying or learning? I have already proven to everybody that I have C2. <laughs> mm -hmm. And unfortunately, when you are in a real life situation, like work, or you have to mm -hmm write for an academic paper or you want to win a scholarship you also need to do a lot of written work yeah you have to write an essay you have to write a motivational essay you have to do a lot of writing and if you've never done it before it's difficult it's interesting we still need to put in deliberate work to improve our i wouldn't even say language skills but language skills and communication skills when you were a child do you remember being frustrated or any frustration associated with that inability to communicate at the same level as your peers? Uh, when I was a child in the U.S., I think in the beginning, but again, it was so easy for me. Like in a year, I was already fluent. Uh, I would say when I moved to Russia and started studying at university, it was a lot more frustrating, especially when I never had the experience of passing exams orally. You know, like in Russia, you have to present orally. That was extremely challenging for me mm -hmm. because I was very self-conscious. I thought my Russian wasn't as good. Um, it was easier for me to speak, you know, charismatically in English. I thought I didn't sound as well in Russian. So that was challenging. But I think that just to add to what you were saying, you know, language is something that, you know, even if it's our native language, it's, I think it's something that we have to work with all of our lives. There's really always room for improvement. It's just like, you know, we work on our bodies, you know, or we work on, you know, other skills. It's something that, you know, we can always improve and work on. And especially the English language, there's so much vocabulary, you know, you can, you need a lifetime to learn all of it. And it's not like we have to learn the language better. It's not mm -hmm. like we have to learn more words or we have to master the grammar or the spelling. To me, it's really about communication skills. Even in mm -hmm. our first language, we can, we need to work on that skill, on those many skills, communication skills consistently. But to summarize what you're saying, as a child, you didn't feel... Or you don't remember any frustrations, you know, with having poor English skills. It just happened naturally. Because so many people mm -hmm. are worried about bringing their children to, to the United States. Because many people say, oh, your child needs to be three or four, or maximum five. And then they will, you know, pick it up very naturally and easily. If your child is already nine, 10, 11, 12, it's too late. Absolutely not. I have friends here who moved here when they were 12, 13. They spoke fluently within a year or two as well. They might have a bit more of an accent, mm -hmm. but they learned the language very easily. So I think up to probably 16, 17, it's very easy to learn it. So when you're a child and everything feels easy and you have the right environment, the environment really helps and the environment pretty much does the work for you. When you're an adult, you have to do your part of the work when you have the right yeah. environment. When you moved back to the United States, you moved back four years ago, right? Yes. Yes. Did you feel that you had to work on your English skills again? Absolutely. Especially uh, when I started working, I never had prior work experience, especially like in English speaking and American companies. I started working for a company and I realized that I needed to improve my writing skills. So mm -hmm. writing emails, sending emails is a very important part of the work process. You know, especially here in America, anywhere probably right now. Yeah, anywhere. So yeah. I realized that I needed to um, find new phrases, new new ways of writing to make to sound more professional, more mm -hmm. concise. My sister actually, who's you know, she's been living in the United States since she was five. She never lived in Russia. Her English is you know obviously fluent. It's her first language. She works in public relations. She writes, writes a lot of articles, press releases. And what I would do in the beginning when I started working, I would send her a template, like this is the email I, that I wrote. Can you edit it? Can you make it sound more professional? And she would send it back to me like much shorter, <laughs> which, you know, uh, gives us an idea that, you know, to sound more professional in English is to be more concise. The more brief you are, the better and more professional 
you will sound. One of the most important skills I talk about brevity, how do you put a lot of meaning into very few words so that you don't end up over explaining things? And yeah, that you're right, you may end up sounding not professional if you do that. Not professional. Also, also I tend to notice it's much dif it's difficult for Americans to understand when you write a lot, when you write in complicated, the, the shorter, the more simple, the easier for them to grasp it. <laughs> I don't think that that counts for Russians as well. I mean, Maybe, yeah. <laughs> that counts here as well. And I believe the more professional you are, the better you understand the concept, the fewer words you actually need to express it and to explain it. Yeah, absolutely. People end up saying a lot when they're trying to figure out what it is that they're actually trying to say. So they mm -hmm. need that process of thinking out loud to actually arrive at the idea that they want to express. When you mm -hmm. already know what you're talking about, you need very few words to deliver that idea. Yeah, that's an interesting idea, but for sure, that's, that's so true. <laughs> so you had all the environment, you had a job, you were surrounded by native speakers, you worked from the office, right? Mm -hmm. So you had native speakers in the open space every single day. Mm -hmm. You were in Los Angeles. <laughs> Your sister speaks English and she only speaks English, right? With you. And you still had to improve your English skills, right? You still had to uh, do the work. Did you do anything else apart from working on your writing skills deliberately? And how long did it actually take you to, until you, like, before you felt that now I can write my emails on my own and they sound professional and brief? I would say it took me about at least six months. Mm -hmm. I would, the, uh, the one thing that helped me, I, I just would write down all the phrases that I liked in emails, that phrases that were, you know, when my sister would edit them or somebody would send me emails back and I liked how they wrote it, I would save it. You were learning uh, from other people, right? If, absolutely. Yeah. From If I liked how they wrote it, how they structured this email, I would just make a note of it, memorize it or save it. I had a huge like a note in my iPhone where I would write down interesting phrases, uh, different email templates. I would say only after about like at least six months to a year, to uh, did I feel like really confident in being in being able to send emails on my own without just asking my sister to just to uh, to see if it's professional or not, if it sounds really well or concise. Uh, but even to this day, I'm still learning. I think there's no limit. I'm still learning new phrases, new ways of communicating, different, you know, different forms of how to say things, you know, so it's, it's a never ending process. When you say you're learning new phrases, do you mean that one day you may see or hear a phrase that you have no idea, like, and you have no idea what it means or you understand it, but you realize that you would have never said it that way? Yes, it's something that I understand, but I was like, I'm always like, oh, wow, I would never say it that way. I would never think to use it. So I just tried to make a note of it. <laughs> That's what I call the intensive listening exercise. You probably mm -hmm. saw how we do this exercise, right? You want to be very attentive to how native speakers talk. And many people focus on the words and the word combinations that they don't understand. They are obsessed with this idea of acquiring more and more new vocabulary. And they also mm -hmm. have a lot of notes on their phone or in their notebook somewhere, a lot of written notes or digital notes. They take notes just like you did. The problem is that they never go back to them. <laughs> that, that's a big problem. And yeah. their notes consist of new vocabulary, the words that they saw for the first time and the words that they didn't know. There is no way you're going to remember, understand, or learn to use something that you have just seen, something that you've seen mm -hmm. once in your life. But I teach people to pay attention to the things that they know, understand, recognize, that probably mm -hmm. even use those word combinations before themselves. The thing is that you understand what it means, but you don't talk like this. So why? <laughs> That's the question you want to ask yourself. I understand this, but I never use that in my own speech. I would have never said it this way. I would have never put it this way with my Russian speaking brain, let's say. <laughs> Absolutely, exactly. We think differently and we would never think to use these types of phrases, these, you know, type of, in a sentence, in that way, in that situation. So it's, I think, yeah, it's much more beneficial to learn phrases that we already maybe know, we know these words and just try to apply them. I was listening to a hilarious uh, episode the other day when they had Americans 
look at a Russian idiom translated into English word by word. And they translated it as there are devils in the still water. And they asked mm. Americans <laughs> to say what they think that means. The answers were hilarious. Wow. <laughs> there are devils in the still water, really? <laughs> oh, it means you, you do something bad and then you do something good. So the, the options people came up with were incredible. <laughs> I want to watch that. <laughs> but that, that's really interesting when you don't understand what how people think you want to understand how they think if you want to understand how they speak and why they speak that way that's so worth paying attention to yeah i wanted to ask you about those notes so you made a lot of notes that were supposed to improve your writing skills how often would you go back to those notes did you end up using them or did you just make a collection and then you deleted it from your phone <laughs> i did use them for the for about like for six months to a year and yes, I do admit I deleted, deleted it. I just realized that actually today <laughs> when I was preparing for this, that I did end up deleting it because I guess I already memorized it and I started using it and it became like second na nature to me. But you had been using that list consistently for... I have, and it's mostly email templates. So whenever you had to sit down and write an email, you would go back to your templates first. Is that right? I would if I struggled. If mm -hmm. I struggled, how should I word this email? How should I structure it? I would go back and get some ideas from my template list. So it's structure and wording, what you were mm -hmm. with, right? Mm -hmm. mm, interesting. What else do you think we can do to help ourselves? Let's say if we are in this, in this situation, when we are in the right environment, because you and I both know many people who have been living in an English-speaking country, they have all the right environment, however, mm -hmm. their English skills don't improve for some reason, or they find themselves 20 years later having the same accent, the same amount of vocabulary, and there's no exponential growth there is no improvement mm -hmm. what do you think is the reason for that and what can people do to help themselves when they are already in the right environment well they, first of all i think people need to realize that language is a skill that you work on consistently all your life and it's not just going to happen on its own yes definitely being immersed in a country in the language helps but you still need to work on it by you know listening like one of the exercises that we're speaking uh, we're talking about is listening attentively to native speakers, catching the phrases that you know, applying them to your language, to when you speak, consistently working on your writing skills. These things that you you know you need to work on all your life, which is not going to kind of happen on their own. <laughs> Even if you're in the right environment, right? Absolutely. And one thing I do to this day is I like to watch news like Fox News or other news channels. And I like to listen attentively to how reporters speak and the phrases that they use. And when, you know, when sometimes political commentators come, I try to like catch interesting phrases, idioms that they use just to improve my language and just to continue improving my skills. I recently found a fun exercise I, and I shared it with my students. I shared weather channels with them. <laughs> you watch news to catch That's interesting, interesting vocabulary. And I showed them a British weather channel and then an American weather channel, a person reporting from New York where there were a lot of snowstorms and nobody could understand what the British guy was saying. I was like, what? <laughs> that was so funny. But when you think about it, weather is such a simple topic. People don't even think about it. They don't think that they need to learn anything here when they start listening to how native speakers talk about the weather and what vocabulary they use and what phrases they use, that is incredible. You've, you realize you, you, you've actually never paid attention and you would have never mm -hmm. phrased it this way yourself. How do you talk about a snowstorm? How do you talk about a wave of heat? You know, how do you talk about winds? How do you talk about the hottest day? I mean, it's, it's just the shortest day, the longest day. It's, it's something I recently found out this exercise. I find it a lot of fun and students are struggling, I should admit, <laughs> especially with the British version. Have you ever found anything interesting for you there? I've never watched weather channels, <laughs> to be honest, but it is interesting. Yeah. How, you know, Americans discuss or describe weather. For example, like the phrase, I don't know why I hate this phrase, but when Americans say, oh, it's really toasty today. I don't know why I hate it what so does that much. Mean? What does that mean? Toasty, like very hot, like, you know, like a toast, like it's a very toasty day. Like mm -hmm. It's very stuffy, very hot. So there's all these different, like when I was living in Russia, you know, after being, you know, moving to Russia, I never heard these phrases. And then moving here four years ago, it's something new to me. You notice that the language changed while you were in Russia, right? 
it's changed. There's new slang terms, new phrases, you know, so I had some catching up to do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, but I, if I got a job as a news reporter on a weather channel, or if I had to talk about the weather, you know, <laughs> if I got this job, I think I would have to reinvent the language for myself. I would have to learn everything anew because how they structure phrases and the vocabulary they use is so different from what people say every day. It's like when, when you had to prepare for the state exams, already knew the Russian language, but that format was new. So I think this is a good analogy, weather. <laughs> weather channels <laughs> so you are saying that people need to realize that they have to put in the work right so they need to be consistent with being attentive so if you think about 2017 when you had to move back to the united states like did you have to work on your english skills again apart from writing skills when you had to write professional emails did you feel that you had to work on your listening pronunciation speaking skills did you have any problems communicating with people or just writing I think I did, but it kind of, again, it kind of happened naturally because I was forced to speak. Um, I think when I first moved here, you know, I moved back here in 2017, my English didn't flow as well as it does now. Sometimes I would stutter a little bit because I spoke Russian for so long. So it did take some time to improve it, but it did kind of, I can't really say I worked on it. Yeah, I would probably listen to my sister, for example how mm -hmm. she maybe apply you know her phrases and just talk as much as i can in english i think that helped but it did take some time to really improve it to the point where you know kind of like language flows because i did do remember that i did stutter a little bit in the beginning yeah and that's interesting that you remember that i wanted to ask you if you were able to give yourself feedback when you moved back mm -hmm. to the united states for the second time you know currently i'm exploring the topic of spontaneous conversations and the art of speaking spontaneously in English. And I, I've come to realize that you can't really develop spontaneous speaking skills unless you can give feedback to yourself. Let's say if you, what we were talking about before, we were saying that you have to be consistent with your learning routine. You have to do something consistently to improve your language skills and your communication skills. Let's say if a person decides to consistently invest in their spontaneous speaking skills and they decide to talk about anything every single day. So they look out a window and they describe what they see, they talk to a wall, you know, they, they record a video, they just send voice messages to random people or they record themselves. On the one hand, yes, they're doing you know, an amazing work. They're practicing spontaneous speaking skills. However, if you maintain the level that you're at, if nothing improves every single day, if you do this exercise at a level at which you already can do it today and tomorrow it's the same level and nothing is improving the next day and the next day, then you're not really doing much to improve your spontaneous speaking skills. You're not learning anything. And you can only do that if you're able to give feedback to yourself. You're speaking spontaneously and you can hear that, oh, it doesn't flow. I feel like I'm stuttering, right? Or I used the wrong word. So you, you can hear yourself, you can give feedback to yourself and then you do something to correct that. Have you ever done that consciously or do you remember that conscious effort or did it happen very naturally for you? Because for many people, they need to learn to do that consciously. I think consciously, I remember it from what I remember. It's that uncomfortable feeling that when I'm talking to someone and I'm like, kind of like stuttering a little bit, like my language doesn't flow. And I, at that moment, I realized that I, that's the one thing I want to work on, just to improve the flow. How did you work on that? How did you do that? Just being aware and being conscious really helps. Also, the, the one exercise actually I learned at your public speaking skills is when you really listen to yourself, like listen how you speak, it really helps. Yeah, it does help. I do this all the time, every single day. I listen to myself just to be aware of what I'm saying and how I sound. I find that the problem is that many people want to correct themselves immediately. So when they hear themselves stutter, when they understand they're stuck in the middle of a conversation, they want to remedy this right now. They want to fix it now. And that adds more frustration to the frustration they're already feeling. So I always tell people, now is not the time to fix that. Now your job is to continue the conversation. Your job is to be aware of what happened and then work on it after the conversation after you've done the speaking because it's impossible to to fix that right now you need to invest some time in it after the conversation yeah, it's like it's interesting i don't know how to describe it but sometimes when you're speaking you feel like it just comes out of somewhere and you don't control it but when you listen to yourself it's as yeah. if you're controlling your own speech that's true that's what yeah. it feels to me as well it kind of naturally slows you slows you down because 
to me, the process looks very logical. When you start listening to yourself, you actually start hearing yourself. When you start hearing yourself, you're becoming more aware of what you're saying. And if you hear that you made a mistake, you just fix it and move on. If you hear that everything you're saying makes total sense, this adds confidence to the confidence you already have in yourself and your speaking abilities. So either way, it's good. It feels good. You really feel like you're controlling the way you speak and you're aware of how you sound. Most people go like, I don't remember what I said two minutes ago. I remember the thought that I wanted to convey, but I don't remember how I did it. Like they're thinking out loud and not, you know, speaking consciously. Exactly. So it's not a conscious effort and it needs to be a conscious effort. So what I would add or the word that I would add in front of any language practice is conscious, doing all those exercises consciously, not just for the sake of doing another exercise, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. hoping that it will bring you closer to your goal, <laughs> hoping that the, I'm just going to stay here one more month. Maybe my English will improve you know, <laughs> one more year. <laughs> maybe my English will improve. I also wanted to ask you about your accent well you don't have any accent by the way what do native speakers tell you do they tell you have a foreign accent so once in a while i'll have someone say to me something like oh i hear a fair faint glimpse of an accent where are you from i catch it so i usually try to look at a person and see will he know what azerbaijan is should i say russia or azerbaijan <laughs> I'm like, no, let me let me educate Americans on geography. I'm like, I'm from Azerbaijan. And they're that's like, where oh, you wow. were born. That's where I was born. So very often they're like, oh, that's so interesting. You know, they ask me about it. Sometimes they're like, Azerba, what? What is that? <laughs> and have to explain it to them. So uh, I don't mind having a bit of an accent. Uh, I think, you know, accents can add some mystery to you. <laughs> I personally like it if it's just, you know, fair like a faint one do you, but i've never done anything to you know to try to improve it I'm you've never done of, any you mean you've never done any deliberate work to improve your accent mm -hmm. not really but probably because you moved there when you were little do you still speak azari your native tongue i can understand it a little bit uh i can just very conversational or was it never your native tongue? Was Russian your? It was never my native because in Baku we most people spoke Russian, and I went to Russian speaking school. My oh. family was Russian speaking. My dad's family they speak Azeri fluently, but my kind of my mom they're more Russian speaking. So I never really got to learn how to speak it fluently. I wanted to ask you if you think yeah you already said that you don't mind having a bit of an accent, but. Those people who have been living in the United States or any English-speaking country and they still have an accent, do you think they need to do anything about it or would you give them any advice? You said, you mentioned earlier that your mom is in that situation as well. She still has slight accent. I hear this a lot. People say that when they live in an English-speaking country and they know that they have an accent and they can't really do anything about it, they feel less than when they communicate with native speakers. They feel less than professionals, they, even less than people, you know, or community members because they have an accent. So it, I guess they feel like they don't really belong. You know, I really think it's something that's it's just inside people's heads. I personally think so. Like, for example, when it comes to my mom, she does have a bit of an accent and she feels very self-conscious about it, especially when it comes to speaking out loud in meetings, even though I personally think she, she sounds great. I'm pretty sure, like hundred percent sure her coworkers do not judge her for it, but it's something just personally that people feel self-conscious about. I think, especially in America, especially in Los Angeles, where the environment is so diverse, there's people of so many different nationalities, ethnicities, People don't, unless the accent is so strong that you don't understand someone, if you have a bit of an accent, it's not really going to affect your job or your professionalism. Would you work on your accent if you had a strong one? Maybe if I had a very strong one, I would work on it. But to have a bit of an accent, again, I think it's, you know, it adds something to a person. <laughs> I talk about this a lot as well. I think accent is not really a problem. And when we say strong accent or thick accent in most cases it's not really the accent it's the pronunciation so people stress the words in the wrong way you know they mm -hmm. stress they mispronounce words and that's what prevents understanding it's not just their accent they really need to improve their pronunciation skills also just the rhythm of the language you know if they sound very monotone and english language you have to like emphasize certain words that's that's kind of even even more important than the accent 
I remember when I met you, you were using English inflections when you spoke Russian. That sounded quite funny in Russian. <laughs> I still do that. <laughs> you still do that. Yeah, the rhythm is, is something that, again, we have to learn. And if, if you're fortunate enough to pick it up from native speakers, that's, that's awesome. Especially when you do that as a kid, you don't really understand the process. Mm -hmm. But when adults have to master this consciously, that's quite challenging for many people. Um, when you moved back to the United States in 2017, did you feel that you, you've lo you lost that a little bit or you never lost that? I think that, that's the one thing I never lost. That was the easiest part. It was just natural, you know. The one thing that I felt that I had to catch up on was, you know, different phrases, slang terms, writing skills. But when it came to the rhythm of the language diction, that was easy. That just came naturally. <laughs> All right. So once kids master that, it actually stays yeah. for life. Do you think in Russian or do you think in English these days or in both languages? Really switch back and forth from one language to another. It's like, I would say maybe a bit more in English now since I'm in America. But it's very much, you know, both languages back and forth. <laughs> but your thought process is happening in both languages as well. Both languages, absolutely. Oh, that's interesting. Thank you so much for this conversation. Look, I want to hear your advice. <laughs> you <laughs> took my public speaking course. You were helping me on that course in 2017 in Moscow. And you saw the people who mm -hmm. were working on their English skills. Uh, you, were, you, you worked with us in the same group. And you saw what they're struggling with, what effort they're applying. What advice would you give to people who are working on perfecting their English skills and their communication skills in English? Because they already have a decent level. They want more. Well, definitely understanding that it's something that you have to work on and improve consistently all of your life. And probably being consistent with it and finding the right system for you. Finding the right tools of course, I would definitely recommend your courses. <laughs> your public course, public speaking course is amazing. Uh, writing uh, course and something that can, you know, help them work on it consistently, figure out which exercises, which type of exercises they want to use and, you, you know, use them on a consistent basis. That warms my heart that you say the word consistent. Because <laughs> to me, that's also an infinite process. But I see that many people misunderstand the word consistent and consistency because they think they have to work on a course consistently but once the course is over it's over mm -hmm. <laughs> they have to be yeah. consistent as long as they're enrolled in the course but then consistency ends consistently all your life that that's a good addition you know i've created a community right now uh, to show people my process because many people understand that they need discipline and they need to put in consistent work but many people don't really know what exactly they need to be doing every day or every other day or every week. What exactly are those exercises that you need to be doing consistently? Where exactly do I need to be looking for those phrases? What exactly do I need to write down? <laughs> so I created the community to show my process. And you know, the funny thing is that many English teachers and some really advanced students shared with me that they used to think that they can never achieve that level, native like fluency or even just C2. But when they watched, my process they told me you know what it doesn't look like a very complicated routine it looks like something i can do as well hopefully that helps <laughs> that helps people to realize that you don't have to do something crazy or something completely out of your comfort zone every single day you just need to find a system that works for you and i'm very big on this on the joy you have to do the exercises that bring joy absolutely otherwise you can't be consistent yeah that's definitely a great idea great thought that you have to enjoy what you're doing if you're not going to enjoy it you have to force yourself and then you should, you're just not going to do it <laughs> no you're not going to do it i know this from experience you know <laughs> i've applied this to different spheres of life and it just doesn't work it only works when I feel a lot of joy. So now I've, um, I've implemented the system. Maybe you can use it as well after every exercise. And I make sure that we complete every exercise. You know, a lot of people, when they sit down to do something with their English skills, they have this base assumption, nobody knows where it's coming from, that they need to spend at least two hours a day on their English skills. If they don't spend this amount of time, they're not doing enough. They're lazy. But that's not true. Uh, we have to find an exercise that we can complete. Let's say if you have only 20 minutes right now, you need to do an exercise that you can complete. You shouldn't approach an exercise that will take you three days to complete. You should choose an exercise that you can complete within 20 minutes. And then you ask yourself two questions. On a scale from one to 10, what was the level of joy? On a scale of one to 10, what was the level of challenge? And you simply keep track of those numbers for two weeks. And, you know, that shows you something about your process. If your level of joy is lower than six, I would say, the question I suggest you ask yourself is, 
what can I do to make it a seven? Not how can I bring it to 10, but what can I do to make it a seven? And usually people know what they can do. They have very correct answers when they answer this question themselves. And then what is the level of challenge? If the level of challenge is two, well, probably all the time, probably it's too easy. If it's 10, meaning it was so difficult that I didn't even finish the exercise. I just wanted to drop it. <laughs> the faster, the better. Then you're, you know, the exercises are not optimal for you. When it comes to the level of challenge, I really believe in variety. You know, on some days you need exercises that feel like nine. And on some days you, you do the exercise that feel like two. Why not? You need the variety. Just with, just like with my workout routine. If I only do exercises for advanced athletes every single day, I'm just going to wear myself out. You know, I'm just going to get <laughs> tired. So I like variety. But joy mm -hmm. needs to be high consistently. I love that. <laughs> that makes learning so much more fun, you know? Yeah, that's the new system I'm using right now. And I ask students to track those numbers because wow. they need to be aware of the process. If I'm not experiencing joy, what can I do to make it a seven? What can I do to make it an eight? If it's eight, what can I do to make it a nine? Because they know the answers most of the time. And very often the answer is, to be honest, I wanted to bite off more than I can chew. So the joy is six or five because I didn't complete the exercise. I thought I can complete it, but I didn't. And I end up feeling bad for not completing the exercise. I feel like I'm not advanced enough. I'm not good enough because I couldn't finish the exercise. And people like to finish work when they sit down to do the work. Wow, that's definitely really good. How much time do you need in a day to learn? Because right now I'm trying to improve my French, <laughs> which mm -hmm. I studied in university, but never really practiced or used. I'm polishing up my German as well. So I'm working on my German skills as well. But when it comes to English, I would say again, right now, the keyword for me is variety. But very often mm -hmm. I will do short bursts throughout a day. Let's say if mm -hmm. I see a beautiful quote, I will read it out loud. That counts as an exercise. I even have it in my system, read a quote, but don't just read it. Oh, I see this, you know, don't read it monotonously, but read it as if it means something because, because quotes are wonderful material to see an example of clarity, what clarity is, because quotes are usually very short, but they explain huge concepts. And that's why we love them because so much meaning as put in so few words. So if I see a quote, I'll read it. If I'm looking for a good book to read and I see an excerpt and I like it, I will read a paragraph out loud. Let's say if I work with vocabulary, I'm watching a movie or I'm watching a YouTube video and I see a phrase, I do the same work that you are doing. I see a phrase that I like, I want to write it down. Or I see a word that I know and understand, but I never use it myself. I will go to Cambridge Dictionary. That's one of my favorite dictionaries. Uh, or vocabulary.com. By the way, that's another favorite dictionary of mine because it explains every word with a story or with a situation. It's easier to retain this information. Every time I look a word up in a dictionary, I will always read it out loud. So my strategy is if I'm learning anything, I want to say everything out loud. That's how I hear what I'm saying and I remember it better. People who do this work silently, it takes them a lot more time. Wow, that's really interesting. So you can just do it throughout the day. Exactly. So I, I don't really dedicate a, a time slot in my day to practice my English unless it's writing. Yes, if I want to do creative writing and I love creative writing exercises, then I dedicate a time slot. But again, even with writing, what I like to do is I like to set my timer. I'm very comfortable with 15 minutes. So I set mm -hmm. my timer for 15 minutes and I do a free flow writing exercise. So I just start writing whatever is on my mind. And when the timer beeps, I'm done. I love it because I know exactly when this will be over. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. incredible. It sounds so much more doable for people. Yes. You know, people think, oh my God, I need to spend hours. You know, this, I feel like this takes the stress away. You know, exactly. And that's, that's the purpose that I have with this community to show to people that it's doable to share stories of people who are doing it. It's really doable. And you can watch my process. It's not like I'm a teacher there who gives you exercises you're supposed to do every day. No, you're watching my process and you can do the exercises with me in real time. Uh, when I work with a movie scene or when I work with a podcast, those real time video lessons are from 30 to 50 minutes long. But again, if I'm not explaining everything that I'm doing, every little thing, then of course it takes me less time. But because I'm explaining mm -hmm. everything, the maximum is 55 minutes. It's the maximum. Again, because I'm explaining every step of the process. But I can never remember myself sitting down and doing an English grammar drill or just practicing my English for two hours straight in one sitting. It's just so boring to me. I can never do that. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, that's why people don't do it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I had to reinvent the process for myself. I had to create my own process that works for me so that I can achieve the same result or even better results. But to me, it's very important to be creative and variety. Variety and novelty are key words for me. I can't do the mm -hmm. same drill every single day. It gets so boring. I start hating it. And when I start hating it, I don't enjoy it anymore. And I never want to go back to that. That's why joy is now the central concept. Wow. That sounds incredible. <laughs> to make it enjoyable for you in that way. Yeah. So just like you said, you have to choose a system of exercise that works for you. So like with French, if I were you, I would pick the exercises that, that bring you joy. And what brings me joy is transformation. Let's say I'm looking at a piece of text that doesn't make any sense to me. And 15 minutes later, I can read it out loud perfectly well. And I understand it. So this transformation from a messy, whatever, I, it just sounds like one long sound. I don't understand anything to I understand everything that they say and everything that they mean to say. That transformation is key. I love it. And that brings me a lot of joy. When I practice my German right now, I love YouTube videos where a native speaker walks you through the transcribing exercise. Let's say they take a piece of German news and your job is to transcribe it. Some student transcribes the news and then he gives real-time feedback on a YouTube video about the exercise. Did the student hear that correctly? And as I'm watching their process, I'm actually testing myself. Did I hear it correctly, actually? <laughs> And of course, I repeat everything out loud. That's probably my rule. I repeat everything out loud. Whenever I have a chance, I say everything out loud. Wow. Yeah, that's the one thing I enjoy doing with French, just reading it out loud. French, you, know? you have to say everything <laughs> out loud. It's so beautiful. It's a shame not I to know, say. I love it. I just walk around my house sometimes reading something out out loud in French. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if you have a pet, you should definitely read to your pet. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> they will listen. They are very, yeah, they're very appreciative listeners. <laughs> so how much time do you dedicate to French these days? Honestly, not that much. I still haven't figured out a system, but I'm going to apply your system right now with, you know, tracking down Joy. I, I'm started using this app. I, there's a lot, I've started following different um, accounts on Instagram. And they have these exercises where they read out loud a story in French and just also like repeating, re reading it out loud helps, you know, just taking a note of new phrases about it. Just, just a few minutes a day, you know, I haven't really been doing much, but well, you have found a way to, to use, to do something for your French a few minutes a day. Yeah. Do you usually read that story out loud yourself or do you just listen to native speakers read it? First, I listen to native speakers read it and then I try to uh, imitate their pronunciation so just try to sound as much like them <laughs> <laughs> yeah it yeah. doesn't always work especially with french it's very very difficult and, language and, master but you're also at a different level right yeah. yeah french it's not it's not comparable to english there are certain exercises for each level and at a level like let's say my german is also way worse now than my english because i don't practice it i've never done any work in german I've, I've never taught anything in german so my vocabulary is very limited let's say i cannot teach in german but i can socialize no problem i can talk about everyday things i understand people perfectly well i can you know rent an apartment in german no problem but i can probably not talk about native life fluency in german because <laughs> i've never done it in my life i would have to acquire all that vocabulary to speak about it did it ever help you uh just what i noticed because the reason i started practicing my french is because uh having i made friends with a belgian man who speaks french fluently and i noticed that when you kind of copy their gestures when they speak like their body movements it also helps a little bit you are acquiring their culture that is what is culture yeah, of course. At this level, native life fluency, we're not just learning the language, we're learning the culture. And without the culture, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Think about situation where it hurts. What do you say in English? You say, ouch. Mm -hmm. What would a Russian speaker say? Oi, I. <laughs> so a German speaker would say, Aua. We utter different sounds. You know, I, I did this test. I asked different people, including those people from, from Nigeria, from the Philippines, from Spain, and they all made different sounds. I, I don't, they're not even words. They're like interjections, you know, sounds <laughs> that people make when it hurts and it's part of the culture. So we're adopting that as well. Yeah. When we walk, and it's again, it's about being attentive and aware of mm -hmm. what is different here in this culture. The, the, gestures, the body movement, the body language, those interjections, the things that we, the sounds that people make, how the animals talk, right? Mm -hmm. It's completely different. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's different. That, that's how they hear, you know, those animals. After a while, you start understanding that actually, yeah, that sounds like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. 
like horses i remember like nay nay right that's what the english version is yeah when i first heard it, i was like english speakers must be stupid the horses don't do that <laughs> they don't make this stuff it's funny like that pigs do oink oink yeah and in russian it's kru, kru. like it's completely different <laughs> completely different and you start questioning those people's cognitive ability do they really hear <laughs> those animals <laughs> what sounds they produce and after a while you start hearing them too it becomes yeah. natural it becomes part of your culture and part of your cognitive world as well you start actually hearing that and that's interesting so definitely watching somebody's body language and paying close attention to their intonations like in american english pitch that's so mm -hmm. difficult for non-native speakers to grasp especially for russian native speakers because mm -hmm. The concept of pitch is totally alien to Russian speakers. And what you have naturally, inflections mm -hmm. and pitch, is very difficult for many people. So you got to listen for that. <clears throat> Simply shadowing or imitating will not really work here. Again, you want to apply a conscious effort. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to do that with my French. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about the rhythm of French, um, what rhythm they have. But yeah, pay attention. The stress is easy in French. Every last syllable is stressed. But when it comes to rhythm, I'm not sure. It's, it's Yeah, it's not as much inflections. It's a little bit more. It's somewhere in between, I think, Russian and English in terms of the inflections. <laughs> Yeah, just start paying more attention. It's interesting. Thank you so much for this incredible conversation. I'm very happy that we jumped on a call and talked about it. If you have anything to say to those people who will be listening to the podcast, please, now is your chance. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. I enjoyed um, it a lot. Of fun. I would probably say just, you know, continue working on your language, improving it, find the system that works best for you. And I absolutely loved your public speaking course. I think it really, it really helped me just be confident in myself. You know, it just, it brought so much confidence to be able to speak in front of other people. And I really think it helped me, you know, when I moved here and I had to start a new career, a new life, you know, gave me kind of a boost of confidence. So I would definitely recommend that to everyone. <laughs> recommend it. And just, you know, just working on it. Just And what you said, trying to find, you know, what you enjoy the most and applying that. Just having fun with it. I also wanted to say that you sound so much more confident than in 2017. Really? Yeah, you do. You do. And I love that. <laughs> I'm happy you found that in yourself. Thank you so much. And uh, everyone who is listening to this conversation, feel free to leave your comments or questions for Fira and we will try to answer them. Thank you.